Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, welcome to the 292nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Scott Burkhart and Troy Smith. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have on cinematographer and ASC member Kramer Morgenthau. He's shot a lot of awesome stuff. Things you might have even seen. Creed 2, Thor The Dark World, Chef. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I, I meant to bring up Chef. Yeah. He shot a few episodes of Game of Thrones. He just shot the movie The Many Saints of Newark which I might have said The Many Saints of New York a couple times during the episode. Just ignore No, it. no. Listeners just misheard. Right. You said Many Saints of Newark every time because you know what that movie is called. But if you hear it as New York, that's on you. Yeah, that's your... Not on that's Orin, a mispronouncing it. eardrum issue. He just shot Respect about Aretha Franklin. He finished shooting Spirited a few weeks ago with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell and Octavia Spencer. Shot Fahrenheit 451, Boardwalk Empire, all these amazing things. Waiting for Godot. Yeah, Waiting for Godot. Which I'm still waiting to see. Waiting to see, Waiting for Godot, Terminator Genesis, whatever. What has he not shot? Anyway, we talk a lot about his process, about his relationship with various directors and how he he gets jobs, how you break down really big set pieces. Spoiler alert, shot by shot. <laughs> and <laughs> But that's refreshing, though. You know, I think it's good to know that, you know, Everyone has, puts their pants on the same way, one leg at the time. Yeah, we even talk about gear a little bit, which is just fun to see what like a cinematographer that's working on, you know, movies and commercials that are in the tens of millions of dollar range that they they use some of the same gear we use, like pencils and paper. <laughs> but yeah, be, but before we talk to him, I'm gonna give a couple shout outs. The secret word was audio cocktail a couple episodes ago when I remembered to do it, and uh, Troy Smith emailed us. He wanted to know if he can buy a hat from us as opposed to going through Patreon. And I did the thought experiment of us setting up a store to sell Just Shoot It hats and came to the realization that we lose money on those hats anyway. So there's no real value. We definitely lose money. And so if you want a Patreon, if you want a Just Shoot It hat, get on that Patreon $10 tier pretty darn soon because I'm going to raise the Price what? What? Did, no! Now all of a sudden you're saying there's inflation going on. Come on, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm laying the gauntlet. You have until the end of the year to get yourself a just shoot it hat at ten dollars. Otherwise, it'll be fifteen. Either way, it's going to the same cause. Our dear friend Sarah, who has been tirelessly editing the show for years now, and if we lose her, it would truly be. It'll be on you. The same people that are are mishearing <laughs> me say Newark as New York. Um, I also want to shout out to Cameron Nails, who said, Cam said that they like our one-on-one episodes, potentially one-on-one more episodes. than our guest yeah. episodes. So, hey, who knows? Hey, thanks. My thanks, my Cam. theory is still that if you're a new listener, and Cam is a new listener, but if you're a new listener and you're just kind of hunting through episodes, the guests may be, oh, you know, DP from Game of Thrones, uh, director of a South by Southwest movie, you know, might be more interesting than like, Matt talks about uh, how he installed cable in his house. Anyhow. I did that off mic. One one last thought. One of us has the sense to do that. Oh, come on. I think it's very (laughs) exciting. And people to this day still send me messages saying how much they enjoyed my fiber installation story. Well, if you want to hear more stories about Oren installing Wait, cable, are you segueing to Patreon because I have something before, before that real quick. I mostly just wanted to dunk on your 
CPR videos. Well, I appreciate that. Talk, speaking of new listeners, they'll have no idea what you're talking about when you keep referencing my CPR videos or my triply sliced bagels. Anyhow, I just did a shoot and we had like an hour drive from the first location to the second location. And the agency, there's like seven people there. And they're like, hey, Orin, what's your podcast again? We're going to listen to it on the way. No. Uh, oh, on the God. Way to next location. And I was like, uh, called um it's called the daily uh yeah you know you know you should have done it's been like you know that's cool did any of you all have a soundcloud though <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh no one did but so they listened to just shoot it and they're like oh they're God. like which episode should that's we listen to i was like don't listen to the one called pros cons and myths of commercial directing because i might have talked about yeah. you guys and they're like then what should we listen to you didn't say that to the did you say that to them I said it's probably not a good idea if you listen to anything about commercials recently because I complain a lot on my podcast. I think I said it in those words. And then I, they were like, well, what should we listen to? I was like, oh, well, we had this guy Craig Zobelon, you know, he directed the like, Mayor of Easttown. And they're like, oh, we love Mayor of Easttown. We'll listen to that. And I was like, cool. So we get to the location and the client, everyone, accounts person, the reps, creative directors, they're all like, yeah, so we... Uh, listen to your podcast on the way here. I was like, oh, cool. What, what do you hear? And they're like, well, we listened to that guy that did Mayor of Easttown a little bit, but then we listened to this one you had about commercials. <laughs> and yeah, you uh, weren't quite sure if you're talking about this job or another job, but it was, you have a lot of opinions. I was like, yeah. But I think they mostly heard the pros part. So who knows, Matt, why are you, why are you shaking your head? <laughs> Opening your eyes big. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, point is, well, if you have a podcast, uh, don't talk about the people you're working with on it because uh, they might listen to it. Ain't it the truth. Ain't it um, the truth. I did have one big discovery on my shoot, which was the art director said that I have a very distinctive selfie face. You know, the face you make when you take a selfie? Mm. You want to yeah. see mine? No, it's not. That is not your selfie face. Yeah, no, is. you don't. You don't do that. You don't smile like that. Yeah, I do. I know. I just do it. No, I've pictures. seen selfies of you. You don't do that. Do you? Go on, go on to my Instagram. It's all like that. <laughs> Michelle LaSantoro, uh, producer and uh, director and actor extraordinaire, um, pointed that out to me. I do like a kind of like a big, dumb, toothy grin. Matt, like, yeah, is doing, it's like an open mouth smile, which like, yeah. I don't even know if those are allowed. Okay, sorry, Kramer. We are going to get to you as soon as Matt tells you about our patreon patreon.com slash just shoot it pod is the place where you can show your appreciation for our podcast the one you're listening to it's kind of like buying Oren or i a, a cup of coffee to pick our brains but we've been letting you pick our brains once a week for about six years so uh yeah if you want to throw us a buck four bucks ten bucks gets you a just shoot it pod hat till the end of the year then it'll be 15 so get them while they're hot buy yourself that end of the year holiday christmas present slash tax write-off you've been dreaming of Patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. You're the one. That we are not accountants. We are so. not accountants. Oren is the one who said that uh, he writes it off a Patreon subscription. I said that? Yeah, dude. You called it marketing or education or something dumb like that. Anyway, we're not accountants. Don't commit tax fraud. I don't subscribe to other people's Patreons. <laughs> so I don't know how I would do it. I write off any expenses we might have. Sure, that's different. Connected to Patreon. Yeah, yeah. Like buying you know boxes to mail him. anyhow tmi let's talk to kramer and let's find out how the sausage is made and the starbucks cups are inserted into game of thrones hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Kramer. How's it going? Welcome to Just Shoot It, the three busiest people in Hollywood. <laughs> Took us seven, seven times to try to get this interview to work. Great to be with you guys. The only guy, time you can do it is uh, midnight on... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you can relate, but with the kids and work, it's hard to find some quiet time at home. Yeah. I get yeah. it. I get it. Uh, well, I'm uh, grateful to be here with you guys. So thank you. Well, obviously you've shot... A, a ton of stuff. You shot Thor, you shot Creed 2, you shot tons of Game of Thrones. You just shot Many Saints of New York and Respect. So I had, I was going to just dive right into the present day. And I'm, I'm really curious, like when you get such a huge project, like a Marvel movie, you know, or an episode of Game of Thrones, like what's, what's your first step in breaking down a script? Yeah. Where do you even start? Yeah. Uh, it's a good question. Sometimes I ask that myself, you know, where do you start? And you kind of, you know, like you said, you start with the script and with the director and, you know, in the case of something like Game of Thrones, the showrunners and, uh, trying to, you know, figure out what their intent is. And, uh, a first AD, you know, I worked with, you know, myself and the director, we were so completely uh, overwhelmed by a particular <laughs> sequence one day. We were just like, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get through this day? And he just said one shot at a time, you know, <laughs> uh, that's how you get through the day. So pretty much just break it down like it's anything else and um, try not to think about, you know, the big picture too much. I mean, they're different versions of the big picture, but trying to think about the money or the you know, famous people involved or, you know, all the outside stuff that can kind of contaminate the filmmaking. You know, you just think about the pure filmmaking of it. And um, I remember, you know, the first time I was on a big movie set, you know, not shooting it myself, but visiting a set, I was just kind of blown away how much it was the same as, uh, you know, what I had been working on at the time, which was student films and kind of small indie stuff. Actually, the set was Malcolm X. Um, oh, cool. Spike Lee was directing it. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine mm -hmm. uh, was working on the sound on it. And uh, anyway. I like, like a oh, boom okay. operator? Uh, the sound mixer. Uh, oh, Rolf wow. brought me in and I, you know, I saw Ernest Dickerson, the DP, you know, kind of like pushing a baby around, you know, baby meaning a <laughs> pushing a baby, a, an uh, infant. A yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a one K, yeah. a one K, uh, for now, uh, you know, kind of like mushing it around on the floor, you know, himself, you know, the DP messing with, you know, and it's like, okay, that's, yeah, yeah. that's what people do anyway. And that's kind of, that was an epiphany for me and it's still, you know, rings to, today i don't know if i'm like dodging the question no you're you're not and i i think that's like i've seen i've been on some big sets and by the way how remember the days where you can be like hey i'm on the set you should come by and visit now it's like oh, you need seven covid tests and yeah yeah i can't um, even have i can't even have my kids come i can't nothing people don't even you know think they think i'm making it all up i'm like i did this huge <laughs> fucking thing and, and you know you're not supposed to be sending pictures either although right anyway and uh we all You're like i did see that water bottle you stuck into that one shot there. yes yeah <laughs> good, one, a good, yeah, good one yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, starbucks cup and, uh, yeah. You know, yeah yeah next to the dragon yeah next um, to the dragon's eggs yeah well no i mean i don't think you're dodging it but i guess i'm asking even i'm curious like the very first episode of game of thrones you got what materials were you presented when you did well did you have to like pitch on the job did you like is it like a movie where you read the script and then 
you say this is like why you should hire me or is it more like hey we know you from your work would you like to come shoot an episode of game of thrones it was kind of maybe neither of those or neither and uh you know i had a relationship with the director and he was alan taylor mm-hmm. that went on to become you know it's been over a decade of, you know, working relationship. That's one of the, probably the best, most loyal relationships I've had in the business is with Alan. And, you know, he, I had done one other thing with him and he was like, Oh, I'm going to do this. Like, this was like game of Thrones. First of all, this was a decade ago, almost a decade ago. So uh, some of it's rusty. If you can believe it, uh, it was season two of Game of Thrones. It was not an international phenomenon. It was not even a phenomenon, you know, that it is today. But it was still like tens of millions of dollars an episode. Sure, right? a, a big deal still, certainly. Yes, it, it was a big deal. And it's still like shooting 10 locate, like 10 different countries or whatever, right? Like, isn't that how that is? Yeah, it was a big deal, but I, I didn't have to pitch for it because I already had the relationship with the director. And it was more like he was like, will you come do this fantasy with me in Northern Ireland, uh, in Belfast. And I was like, ah, fantasy. I don't really, you know, no, it's just not, it's not my mm-hmm. gig. Yeah, yeah. We get it. Kramer. You're not on that nerd shit. I get it. I, get it. <laughs> uh, I am now, uh, but, uh, right. now that it's mainstream yeah. and now yeah, that it's it- cool. Now it's cool to like it, you know? Yeah. I like it. But back then it wasn't cool. So I, I didn't want to be not cool. And you had shot Boardwalk Empire already at that time, right? So you, HBO knew you. Yes, HBO knew me. First thing I did was watch season one. And it took me about six episodes. Kind of, I was like, oh my God, this thing is incredible. You're like, oh, the blonde ones versus the snowy people. Got it. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was well, I did, they're, they're called the brunettes. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I was an idiot. Uh, okay. Well, it took me a minute. It took I, me a we, minute to like figure it out. I hadn't read the books. Fair. Um, I wasn't I, about to read a you know ten thousand yeah. page book. I don't even know how to read. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was given a pile of ten scripts to read, and a pile of episodes to watch. And I was like, uh, before you guys interrupted me, I was trying to say I got through <laughs> to uh, season six, uh, season six, episode six. I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. The writing is incredible. These characters transcend all mediums, um, all, you know, genres, I should say. And, uh, you know, this is incredible writing. And that is what, you know, brought me in. And then I was figuring out how to, you know, how to make it something of my own so that you're not just being brought in to Mm -hmm. uh, do more of the same. And how to... Yeah, how to, you know, which is a, for a cinematographer in television, it's more challenging in television to... Well, you have to be, you have to be part of a whole, right? It's not like you can just throw the rule book out and be like, well, I think this would be cool, right? Like, it has to fit in with the rest of the the worldview, right? It does. It does. Uh, You know, and I was one on that season, I was one of five cinematographers, you know, shooting, like you said, in multiple locations. So it's kind of daunting that way. You know, it's more like, how do you, how do you fit into this machine? But I I did want to actually throw out the rule book, to be honest, and do, you know, some of my own. You're like, we're going to shoot King's Landing in blue. (laughs) We're going to do a, Where's the snow West area? Gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Wait. So, do they? Speaking of the rule book, do they give you like a lookbook? Do they say like, "Hey, here's kind of the rules. Here's the vibe, like a visual aesthetic of some sort," or is it you? You just pick it up from watching the episodes. Uh, no rule book at at that time. You know, maybe it changed later, but uh, there was no rule book. It was more like, "Here are the scripts. This is what we did before." And uh, David and Dan were like. You know, the showrunners were David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, you know, were like the darker you make it, the happier we are, you know. (laughs) And uh, I I felt like they were more daring than, you know, some movies I've worked on. So you you expect like the cliche of television would be like, oh, you know, it's supposed to be bright and flat and this and that. You know, this was before 
kind of peak or television. Ga- this, Game of Thrones. <laughs> this was before Game of Thrones. Wait a second. Oh, my God. I, I'm curious, actually, about just kind of a, a, a true nerdy, nitty-gritty question, right? So you've got all this material. You're, you've said to yourself, I want to figure this out. Literally, where do you start? Do you pick up the phone? Do you get on the internet? Do you write an email? Do you pull out a notebook? What is that first thing? Or print out the script? I, the, I guess yeah. to, my other question on, to piggyback on, on that, because I think what would be super helpful as a DP is if you have a schedule from an AD, you know, do you get something like that in the beginning? Or do you literally just have the script, you print it out and you start like making notes on it? Probably the latter. You know, the schedule, if I was given the schedule before the script or before coming up with some sort of plan, I think I would have been, you know, completely intimidated because the schedule is on that show was like looking at a, like I don't a know. Beautiful mind. Yeah. Like Unibomber uni, uni manifesto and... or something, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was, you know, it was all cross boarded and two units, the wolf unit and the dragon unit, you know, one unit stayed in Belfast. The other traveled around. We went back and forth between the two. I stuck with my director um, I also traveled to Croatia with my director, but then stayed and became like the house direct uh, DP for all the directors that came through, uh, which was a blast because I got to meet all these cool directors. So yeah, printing out the script and making your notes on it, breaking it down. Sometimes I do my own sort of beat sheet to sort of figure out the beats. Talk to us a little bit more about that. I'm curious. Like when you say beats, are you thinking story beats? Story beats, yeah, yeah, story beats. Um, You know, first I need to digest it, and it also takes me a while to digest the script longer than I think most people. Some people are like they read it once and they can, you know, recite it forward and backward, and you know, they're like beautiful minds kind of people. And you know, I'm not that person. I'm super visual and I need to kind of ingest the story and it can take a while. So I need to read it, you know, between one and 10 times. I need to write out the beats and then along the beats, I'll do, you know, visual beats where I'm writing in sort of what I would maybe visually like to achieve. And then maybe in another category, I'm writing maybe equipment I'd like to bring in, like, you know, catapult or, uh, you know, just kidding. Anyway, um, you know, and camera. So at, but at this point, you're kind of thinking camera moves and lighting and color and those things. Mm-hmm. And kind and of is all this at once, it sounds like. Before the director and you have figured out the shot list. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that when I have a conversation about a shot list, I'm at least coming from a place of, of knowledge and um, of story. You know, otherwise there's nowhere, no, you can't be informed of the shot list without deep story, you know. I'm curious about like the shot list and like when you work, I'm assuming different directors are different, but do you, are there directors that are like, Hey, what do you think we should, how do you think we should shoot this? And you basically make the shot list and then other directors that are like, Hey, here, here's the exact shots and this is what we're going to do. And then some people that are in between, like, what's the, what's your process for shot listing? Completely. And this is more of a general answer than just Game of Thrones specific. It's all the way from, a director has storyboarded every single frame of the movie to a director's like, yeah, what do you think? Or I write the shot list out. Um, and the director is more of a, of a writer. Do you have a preference? I don't, I don't. It's to me, it's the chemistry and the material are more important than, you know, the work. And so I like flexing both sets of muscles and, you know, and there's in between where the director actually is a, camera specific director but they don't like to write down shot lists they like to find a shot on the day based on the blocking and in television like game of thrones where there's it's such a you know you guys are going to laugh at me again i I, you know but it's such a fast schedule you know you only have 82 days to shoot an episode no it's not you get 16 you know you get 16 (laughs) days per episode and you know you're like oh you know some people only get five days for an episode, but it's like you get 16 days per episode. Maybe it's 18 days per episode. Maybe it's 22. But first of all, the episodes are one hour. They're not mm-hmm. 52 minutes. And it's like 
you know, fucking, you know, the cavalry like marches up the hill and, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and Atlanta burn, you know, stuff like that. So it's yes, it's a uh, luxurious um, maybe compared to some schedules, but it's uh, it's faster compared to others becoming from independent film. I was like, OK, I, yeah, I have more time than I do sometimes on a movie. Yeah. But you have these humongous set pieces, too, right? Yeah, blood and gags and armies of people and orgies and (laughs) right, yeah, you know, whatever beheadings and I didn't do a beheading, but you know, yes, yeah, Um, and they got much bigger after I left. But uh, answer your question, yes, some directors will just scribble a shot list down on the back of a piece of paper on the back of the script on the way to work. And that's your shot list. But oh, which side do I like? You know, I like uh, when the director has a really specific, you know, vision and set of shots that they want to do. And I can kind of then focus on other stuff. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine if I was like a DP and I like was kind of stressed out about like a big action movie, like a Thor or something, you know, or even like, a creed too, where there's like a lot of, you know, action sequences and the director's like, yeah, uh, why don't you just come up with a shot list for this boxing match? I'd be like, uh, that is a lot of work. And you're putting a lot of pressure on me as a DP, you know, to like, it's one thing if it's like a drama scene, you know, it's two people arguing in a room or something. It's another thing if it's, you know, a, a huge like action set piece. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Um, yeah, that is, uh, Definitely, you can get sort of thrown a hot potato and it's like, okay, um, yeah, two people talking in a room, you know, is, is, is definitely one thing, you know, something like Creed 2, there was a tremendous amount, uh, that was not the case on Creed 2, you know, the director had tremendous vision and, you know, deep insight into what he wanted out of the boxing sequences, uh, Stephen Cable Jr., um, and also, uh, the stunt coordinator shot a lot of, uh, stunt viz, a lot of the great stunt coordinators, stunt uh, fight choreographers will shoot their own stunt viz and, uh, or you shoot it with them and, and they like, they shoot and edit, you know, and they're, they're, they're filmmakers. And, mm-hmm. um, so they're like pre-vising, they're doing shot by shot, how the fight, how they imagine the boxing match goes. Yep. And it's crazy and it's, you know, cut to music and it's, you know, usually like a really like crazy version of it, but then you kind of dial it or not not crazy, but yeah. I was going to say that sometimes just the point about stunt viz, it's like there's an artistic angle to it and there's also the practicalities of like, okay, well, this is where we are suggesting you put the camera to sell a punch, for instance, or for to, to feel the contact the most. And so it's kind of a literal dance between what they think is cool and what uh, works for the choreo, um, which I always appreciate. Yeah. And I imagine when they do the stunt viz, they're probably not cutting to a audience member or cutting to like super wide shot or overhead shot. It's probably more, they're just shooting the match itself. Uh, sometimes, I mean, sometimes they get pretty artistic with it. You know, they, yeah. uh, I, I, mean, don't, I don't remember if they're cutting to an audience member, but, do you ever get mad at them? You're like, of course you can do that shot with an iPhone, but how am I going to stick my 35 millimeter film camera spinning up between this guy's legs? Yeah, but they were like using gimbals and, you know, yeah, yeah. A7s. And it was like, okay, I'm like, fuck, this is pretty good. <laughs> They're like, uh, what do I need to do? I yeah. hope I can do it as well. Yeah, but yeah, totally. What you can do with a gimbal, you know, a two pound gimbal versus a 70 pound steady cam. Uh, with a five pound anamorphic camera uh, lens on it. And uh, no, like, a, you know, it was, we shot Creed on, uh, anyway, on uh, Alexa Minis. And- Kramer, this is the show. Like, we, I want to hear that. Yeah. Say, I'll say Alexa Minis. Yeah. Go for it, buddy. Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. you know, it's don't a, pull a punch, pun intended. Maybe 40 pounds, <laughs> 40 pounds. You're right. So 70 is too high. But it was, uh, you know, 40 pounds out 
off of your body is a is a very different thing than a, mm-hmm. a gimbal and it's a very different feeling and uh i'll talk about that in my um tech uh, the the thing at the end the teaser yeah, yeah. unpainted endorsement. Yeah, cool. cool all right yeah i just had a shoot last week and i was shooting all this stuff with my iphone and i posted some stuff on you know i have the iphone 13 pro as everyone that listens to this podcast knows has the cinematic mode and i posted something on instagram that was like my iPhone shots are making DPs angry since 2021 or something. And then quite a few DPs sent me notes on my angry. shot. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> the flare looks wrong. The Well, with the iPhone 13, it's a, you don't need a DP. It's amazing. It's like it, it's it's like the um, Manchester, uh, you know, England. They got the that certain type of loom. <laughs> We've industrialized is what you're saying. Yeah. There was a birth of a, uh, a, a group mm-hmm. of people called the Luddites. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, that's it's the same thing. iPhone 13, you don't need a DP. I mean, you don't even need a focus puller. You can choose the focus point after after you shoot. Well, I was wondering, I think, I mean, I love the Game of Thrones stock because I love that show. But I guess I'm curious about a feature, something like Respect. I mean, obviously, you shot Many Saints of New York, kind of recent, of Newark, kind of recently, too. But that was based on kind of this existing show, even though it was a prequel. Respect is like kind of totally... I mean, it's, I know it's, it's based on a true story, but you and the director had to kind of come up with a look from scratch, right? Yeah. How how do you approach that? Like, what what's the first step of figuring that out? References? It's references. Yeah. It's lookbooks. It's other films. Yeah. What what do you like to reference most? Is it historical? Is it uh, is it other films? Where where do you start with that stuff? Yeah. Or or with respect specifically, how did you guys start with that? It was, it's a combo. You know, I, I'd like to say I don't like to reference other films, but I do. And then I like to, I like as much primary source material as possible. In the case of Respect, it was a black and white documentary uh, that was shot by, you know, ABC News uh, that you can like get it on YouTube. And it was like interviews with Aretha Franklin and her husband, Ted White. And, those uh we reshot those those documentaries actually made it into the script and um we reshot some of that mm-hmm. you know on black and white uh you know double x uh film with a you, you use the authentic stock and everything uh well if i use the authentic stock it would have been reversal and all that but you know something trying to be authentic you know but it was you know we used negative black and white film because it was a black and white piece and then uh, another primary source was at you know Amazing Grace, which was a documentary shot by Sidney Pollock in a church in Watts, um, and that was recorded at the same time and made into the the best selling gospel album ever uh, in 1971. That uh, film is is just it just blows. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's a mind. I had seen it before I even got the job and I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. And then I saw that they were making a biopic about it. And I, uh, that's a film where I really did campaign hard to get the film. Cause it was, I was really passionate about the, the material and, uh, kind of came from every single angle to try to get the job. Uh, what does that mean? Every single angle, what, what angles were you coming at it from? I might have to kill you if I have to tell you, you know, I tell you. Your secret? But just, you know, people that I knew. You bring them a special muffin that's so delicious and you don't tell them where it's from. Yeah. You know, just people, you just kind of figure out, well, who do I know that might know somebody that's involved in the film or... Is that a movie where the director more or less hires you? Or, or the director. It's all pure director. The studio isn't, isn't that involved in the... In hey, it the, is. They are. Um, and I had a relationship with the studio, so that was part of it. And uh, so I was, you know, studio, they like me at MGM, or they did at the time. I like to think they still like me. And, uh, you know, I had done Creed. So I had a good relationship with the with that group of people. And I heard about the material, and I was thrilled. But anyway, going back to source material for respect you know that film was incredible that was shot in 16 millimeter uh color and we also shot some 16 millimeter color and we recreated that concert at the end of the movie and uh it's just it's just very you know it's amazing 
not our work, but the, the film, mm-hmm, right. uh, the documentary. Side, side question for like today, nowadays, you're shooting Respect, the MGM, a big studio about a very famous singer, Aretha Franklin, and you're recreating a famous concert. Nowadays, you know, and I don't know if this would, would apply to all your work, like when when you have a crowd for a big concert like that, is it usually visual effects or like do people still shoot, like bring in like a thousand extras for a scene? Uh, they do. Uh, we did, although in that case, it was, you know, I don't know how many extras were there that day, but I, we did have up to a thousand extras in some concert scenes, which surprisingly is when you're trying to do Madison Square Garden in 1968, a thousand people is uh, Not nothing. Enough. Not a ton. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, great. This one's going to be a plate shot, too, I guess. Yeah, it's still we did. We tiled and I'm sure they also filled in with digi doubles and uh, or digi whatever. You know what I mean? Mm, um, is. Yeah. And when you say tiled, do you mean like you shoot the whole crowd in one position, you move them to a different position? And do you have to lock off the camera when you're doing that? Yeah, which is very frustrating. And you don't have to lock off the camera. But the, if you don't lock off the camera, and I know you guys have background in visual effects or are visual, work, uh, you or yeah. work in visual effects. And uh, anyway, it gets more expensive. It depends on the visual effects super supervisor, you know, the budget. <laughs> that they're working with. Yeah. For concerts, it's always really hard because I feel like there's this like very common shot, which is the camera is behind the singer <laughs> looking out at the crowd and there's always spotlights, right? Pointing right at the camera. So you get yeah, yeah. a it's, lot of it's flares. Like half of a star is born is that shot. Yeah. I, I don't know. What you're, I've never seen that shot. I don't know what you're talking about. I ne- I've never done that shot. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, it's like you shot. don't it's see classic. anything. But once you have flares and they're going in and out because the person is blocking the light, not blocking the light, and now on top of that, you're trying to tile extras. It's like the brightness of the shot is changing every single frame. So it makes something like tiling very difficult unless everyone is just sitting still and the flare is not moving. But once the camera is starting to move, that's where I imagine, I imagine the tiling shot works really well when you're cutting to like clean audience reaction, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that, you know, I really wanted to do was move the camera with the music or musically, I should say. And it was very frustrating to not be able to move the camera w- when there's any kind of crowd involved, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, and the shots where we did the tiling were like frontal shots of the stage, you know, to show where we are. There's mm-hmm. a gazillion people. Some of them were but from behind, you know, with the flare thing. And um, I don't know how. And, you know, sometimes the entire environment is also not just the crowd, but the environment. We shot all the concert, a lot of it in the same place. So, you know, you've got Detroit, Cobo Hall, you've got Madison Square Garden, you've got, you know, we're like, and they just were changing architecture as well as crowds. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it's cheaper to shoot it all at the same place than to and just do it in post, huh? Certainly, yes. Uh, or in that case, you know, and, I'm, and, and the other approach is a zero architecture approach, which was Creed, which is uh, we shot on a soundstage with the boxing ring and the, you know, uh, wrapped in 360 green screen. Um, and we did have a thousand extras in the foreground or 700 or something. And then we shot at real boxing matches with 360 array cameras or cameras in a 360 array and put the backgrounds in that way, you know, and I think that worked pretty well. Uh, again, you know, there's camera movement, uh, there's limitations with it, but um, yeah. camera movement is, you know, one of my big frustrations with the tiling thing. But anyway, um, you know, I really wanted to do like a shot where you're like, going all the way through the crowd and like right into a close-up, you know, mm-hmm. and I couldn't do that. Uh, but recently I did get a spider cam uh, on a, the fit project I just finished. And uh, the beautiful thing about the spider cam, uh, which is a camera on mm-hmm. cables. It does whatever um, a spider cam. It's, it's, uh, it does exactly. And it's, but it's repeatable. It's like a motion control, like cable cam, motion control cable cam. Yes. And can it turn? Or I guess you have a remote head or something you can pan? Uh, that's not repeatable. Although you could theoretically get a repeatable head, but uh, it's 
that's not as you know the visual effects supervisors don't mind nodal movement it's it's really the uh in and out stuff yeah parallax and then also of course a zoom is like absolutely verboten well no, you know it's funny actually because i think that you know one of the you know, you, you said at the beginning of our conversation about how, like, oh, you know, it's re- enlightening to realize, like, oh, the differences between a huge movie set and the indies that you'd been working on earlier in your career was that, you know, the, the fundamentals are the same, right? But one of the big differences between those early works and a Thor or a Game of Thrones is, or a Creed, is the is the visual effects. And so I'm curious, are there any other ways that knowing that a big budget movie is going to rely on visual specs in a, in a major way. Are there other things that you do to collaborate with, uh, you know, a supervisor or, or does it alter your approach in any other way? Like, it sounds like you were fighting for a spider cam, for instance, so that you could do certain moves. Are there any other kind of like, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole different, that is a whole different, completely different. And it has no relationship to, an indie film, it's a, it's a very different style of filmmaking, uh, agreed. And I think that in some ways it can be closer to animation, uh, than it is to, you know, more traditional, uh, live action filmmaking. And it's all, it's all changing a lot, but, you know, first of all, there's previs, uh, real, real previs, you know, where it's done in Maya, you know, shots are worked out, you know, highly complex mm-hmm. shots are worked out. Um, and that's a huge, you know, you could say it's a loss of control, but then you could also say it's a huge, you know, asset to be able to figure out how to do this impossible shot, uh, which if you, this is no way on the day you'd be able to figure out how to, you know, do something like that uh, with all those different elements, with elements that aren't even there. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're shooting, ele- you're shooting, you're capturing elements for the shot. You're not, you're not shooting the shot sometimes. Yeah. And it's all about the relationship with the visual effects supervisor. And, um, you know, some are very much all about getting it, you know, in camera as much as possible. And some are just getting raw elements and it's for manipulation later. Uh, somewhere, it's somewhere in between, but it's a, it's a, it's a whole different role um that you're dealing with that never existed in you know indie films or films without visual effects you know it's thrilling and it's you know you're doing like world building you know huge canvas stuff you know and i it's it's exciting as hell so it's it's not like oh my god you know yeah i'm doing visual effects movies i'm like yeah i'm doing visual effects movies it's cool and it's like there's a it's a huge amount of photography, you know, involved. It's just sometimes it's a different kind of photography than what you, you thought you'd be doing. And it's better sometimes to do it later. Right. I, on that note, like, are you involved in the decision of whether you're going to shoot something on location or just like on, on a green screen? Uh, not always. You know, sometimes they're like, you're doing this green screen. This is it. And I'm like, well, what about, you know, video walls or, you know. And they're like, oh, video walls, you know, they're so expensive. And, you know, I'm talking about like, I'm not talking about the volume. I'm talking about just video walls, which are, you know, the volume too, but just video walls. You know, it's, uh, I like the way video walls look because they look somewhere in between green screen and Mm -hmm. actually, I'm talking about like maybe like car stuff, you know, Uh, somewhere in between. And you have to have a certain amount of car work to really justify getting this video wall in and i'm like well what about you know video wall? like no it's too expensive i'm like well i'll save you we'll shoot it on my iphone shoot it on the iphone pro 13 you know you don't need a dp and you don't need a visual effects you can just get an app and it takes care of it no but seriously you um need a composite Mm -hmm. um so you're gonna save all this money you know thirteen thousand dollars per shot or six thousand dollars per shot or whatever it is and you get all the reflections and all that stuff. You get all the reflections. You get the actors get to interact with it. So, and then I'm like, I'll get you a bid from, you know, PRS or this company and, you know, they can bring it in and they'll, you know, you kind of, and I'll shoot the plates and, you know, whatever. And they're like, oh, well, we'll get drivingplates.com. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> and uh, whatever, you know, it's kind of, it's more fun for me 
to do video walls and to do green screen in that, in the case of like driving stuff, I should say, which is, I've only done it for that. And I've done like spaceships and things like that. Well, I, had, I had just two more questions un, unrelated to each other, but one last one about respect, which is there's a lot of performance scenes, right? A lot of performance sequences, stage shows, obviously you mentioned Madison Square Gardens. Did you guys like come up with any sort of rules of like how you shoot performances? And did you try to find your own flavor of like how you shoot someone on a stage singing? Yeah, for sure. And we kind of tried to build, you know, not only rule books, but sort of, and, uh, you know, again, I'm imagining it's like, you know, little book with rules. It's not, you know, there's no rule book. But anyway, you know, it's like a, it's a design to how we shot the music and we tried to actually design things differently depending on the song there are a lot of songs in the movie and uh based on you know the story and the story within the song and not just the words but sort of the relate what's going on with her at the moment and why she wrote the song and she's having you know it's it's so much harder to shoot a scene that doesn't have just straight dialogue and it's more fun in some ways, you know? Right. You have to keep it engaging when there's a chorus that repeats, keeps repeating. Yeah, it's pure, it's pure visual storytelling, you know, just like when you're shooting boxing, you know, not just like, but in a, another way is shooting boxing or just shooting a scene with no words in it is much harder, uh, much more challenging because it's just pure visual storytelling. You know, you're shooting somebody performing and, uh, you know, some of the, stuff that we went for was was just that the music kind of drives the movement you know which is what i was saying before and um or one sequence was you know completely handheld and chaotic uh because it was taking place in uh you know amsterdam which was this crazy concert where people throw flowers at her which is what they do or is what they did in Amsterdam in, in the 60s, you know, and it, it, there were handheld cameras on stage. Um, and you can see the guy. We there's mm-hmm. Again, it was we were sometimes we were re, we were recreating things. I love the idea of casting a vintage camera operator just for the the shot. You know, that, that would be so, so charming. You know, so, uh, well, we yeah. kind of did that, you know, yeah. like, uh, we threw period clothes on the camera operator and uh Oh, the real camera operator. And put a, a an SR. Did you have to join SAG? Uh, no. No. Oh, good. Uh, just, uh, yeah. He will now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm sure they don't listen. Um, well, so my last question, and obviously, Matt, if you have anything to add to, um, is a little bit of a pivot, but you've obviously done commercials too. I remember talking with you outside of our kids preschool a few months ago about that will ferrell super bowl commercial you did but uh i'm curious you did this call of duty spot with james mangold how was that how what was that experience like it's like a a pretty insane commercial that also takes place in like so many different locations how do you like i guess what's the difference between commercials and features as far as your role is and um using that as an example like it's another big you know kind of like game of thrones sized commercial how do you how do you do that Yes, sure. I mean, commercial, that commercial, you know, you're like, what's the difference between that and a, there wasn't a very big difference between that and a a big feature film. So not all commercials are like that. And Mm -hmm. uh, that was, you know, an exception. It was, you know, if Jim Mangold is involved, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be epic. And that's why they're, they, they bring them in for something like that. And how that was done was, you know, it's a different, it's a completely different language than feature filmmaking or than television it's you know structurally different in terms of ad agencies and creatives and the director's relationship with that it's actually that in that sense is closer to television because you know in a way that the director has to answer to the showrunner and you know the showrunner is the ad agency so it's you know it's different or and the client right um so there's three different parties and in feature filmmaking, you have the studio. So it's kind of, there's, you know, there's, there is like, a, you know, it, it's just very, and you're selling product, obviously. Most importantly, though, creatively, you're designing shots that are, are, you know, at most everlasting five seconds long. 
and uh, you're putting so much energy into that, into so many fewer frames, you're going to get amazing, you know, amazing shit. So is that's cool from a, you know, creative high standpoint, you're, it's, it's harder to get that high, you know, you gotta, you gotta smoke more shit <laughs> because, you know, you're, you're selling product. You're mm-hmm. not necessarily telling a story. Uh, although sometimes you are the great commercials. Some of them are just, you know, works of art and are in the MoMA. Yeah. Speaking of great commercials, Matt, do you know that Kramer shot that commercial for the Jerry Seinfeld documentary comedian, the in a world oh. guy? You remember that yeah, commercial? Yeah, that's great. I do remember. Yeah, yeah. That was, it was basically the trailer too, right? Or no? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I guess yeah, it was yeah. a trailer. Yeah. Classic, man. That, that, it, well, it kind of uh, put a nail in the coffin of narration and trailers, basically. Like, we don't do it anymore. And it's kind of like that. I, I feel like I've heard it cited as like the official end of In a World, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think all those guys kind of like retired at the same time too. So like, I think there's, it's a happy ending for everyone. I think, especially, uh, it's a new beginning for children's choirs, I suppose. For, uh, to be because part of the new, scores, the, the trailer new trend. Scores. Yeah. The new, ever since social, social network. network. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, one more thing I will say about commercials is that you get, uh, sometimes they're tremendously more technical than because they involve, so much energy going into a, you know, you're like pushing a, you know, I don't know, a snorkel on a motion control rig through a, you know, piece of food or whatever it is. It's like you really like can learn and grow a lot um, technically on some of these things. Yeah, it's where you try out the new toys and you make the whole commercial about that tool. Kramer, you're describing the the yin and yang of this show, basically. Orin and I both do a lot of commercials, and it's kind of like that back and forth of like, well, it's fun to, you know, tell a story and do like some real scene work. And also, isn't it neat to spend so much time on five frames of footage? But also, it's so special. Isn't it frustrating that every camera move we do ends up getting cut because (laughs) it's too long, like you were saying. There, there yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, yeah, you, you like, oh, well, why don't we, you know, push through the thing yeah. and go around the thing. And, and the director's like, dude, yeah, seven I, frames you know, for this. I, I need like this. I need yeah. this moment. I need, I need the eye to blink, like, you know, blink. Okay. That's it. That's all I need. I'm done. I got it. I'm like, but, but, no, no I got it. Yeah. It's great. I'm, I'm working on this thing right now where this, uh, this girl like selects an icon on a screen. And I had the animation and, the, you know, the icon kind of spun when she selects it. And then now we're looking at the cut. We're like, that that is like way too long. It just needs to go, pink. <laughs> you know, like it's like literally. <laughs> you cut three notes there, Warren. Yeah, you can't. Uh, it's it's every frame counts. Every frame is a commercial. I should start a YouTube channel called that. Well, uh, what's what's next? What uh, What movie of yours should we watch next? So you got a lot of stuff coming out. Waiting for Godot, Spirited. Spirited, I just finished, and that um, bunch of no names in that movie: Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell, Octavia Spencer. Who are those people? Yeah, that will be coming out in Christmas uh, twenty-two, and um, I'm really, really excited about it. I just finished; it was a whole different something I'd never done, which was a musical, oh, and uh, always wanted to do. And yeah, a lot of uh, big song and dance mm-hmm. numbers in it. Um, so I'm super, super stoked about that. And I see it was written by Charles Dickens. Did you, was he cool on set? He was kind of a dick, you know, in, <laughs> um, but, uh, he, uh, you nice know, I don't know, he never showed up. He never showed up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of those. It was, it's it like, yeah. He, no, it was, uh, you know, it's loosely based on a Christmas carol and, um, it just, it's just, it's all, I don't know. It's going to be really cool. I don't know even know how much I can say about it, but it's kind of like a, a mashup of comedy, of a musical, of a romance, of a buddy movie, um, and uh, and of a or kind of like emotional kind of uh, morality story, which is what you know a Christmas Carol is. So. Awesome. Well, Kramer, this has been so fun. Uh, do you have a few more seconds to hang out and uh, unpaid endorsement? 
with us? Unpaid endorsements? I do. Unpaid endorsements. My unpaid endorsement is Only Murders in the Building. Are you guys watching that show? You know, I saw the first two episodes. You know, I I love Steve Martin and Martin Short. And I, you know, I I have an appreciation of Selena Gomez also. But I just felt like the cocktail of like the three of them felt so kind of false to me. But then everyone is just saying that it's really great. So I guess guess I'm going to have to push through. It's kind of like Game of Thrones. I watched the first episode of that show like 10 times. Before I yeah. finally committed to it. Then you figured it out. Yeah, I would say I've always really loved Steve Martin. I don't know that I love Martin Short until now. I feel like perform he's a very funny, but like as a more grounded actor, I never really bought his performances. But this one is kinda of, it, it's managed to like let him do his thing. He's big, he's theatrical, he's over the top, but in a way that again maybe it's a little bit of age a little bit of nuance maybe it's just a better character for him but like i think he's kind of knocking it out of the park on that show so the entire season is done i've been so freaking busy i'm like halfway through the season but only murders in the building has been uh, a nice little solve for me um on the stressful stressful weeks so um that's my unpaid endorsement i have a show which maybe is obvious and then here i feel like the new um DGI, oh, the Ronin, Ward uh, D, uh, yeah, the chicken camera they call it. Yeah, is that what they call? It? Okay, because that because it stays the head. We stays, we haven't talked about it. On we the haven't show, talked though. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because yeah, you know a chicken's sure. head stays in place no matter where you move its body. Yeah, yeah. There's memes of like dudes with like a shoulder rig with a, just a chicken on their shoulder next to that camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm curious though, Kramer, wh- why do you like the chicken camera? Why do you like this camera? Um, I think it, it will be a game changer in terms of, you know, all the different things that it can do. You know, I, I don't know why they haven't made this camera before, which is basically a gimbal that kind of, I don't know, sits on your show. I don't know what's different about this camera other than that. I've shot with the X7 camera, which was their camera that was in the Inspire 2 um, mm-hmm. drone and it's pretty blown away by it. It's a full frame tiny camera. Did it have the built in gimbal too? It did, it did, but it was on a on a on a drone. Oh, okay. Um and now it's the X9 and it's a built in gimbal and it's on a camera that you can kind of just pick up and hold versus picking up a giant Ronin um mm-hmm. you know art R2 uh which I actually used a lot recently on the last film which is the big daddy you know gimbal but this is all this is just a tiny camera i think that the lidar assisted focus is mm-hmm. fascinating did you have uh, you used it yet no no i don't i've never even thought? seen it i just read about it so i i just think it's uh it's the gonna focus be a game is bonkers the focus is insane and also it's got the fourth axis, which is this arm that is uh, kind of measuring your distance to the ground and kind of stabilizing on a, a whole, uh, with a, you know, vertically. Yes. Yeah. So there's a whole another level of stabilization. And then the camera itself, I, I use the earlier generation of it and it's impressive. And I, I think that it's going to, you know, revolutionize some movies. I don't think yeah. it's like, and it's it's taking things in a direction that is really interesting, which is where cameras get smaller and smaller and look better and better. And they're operatable like, by one person. Yeah. Operated by one person. Oh, you know, there's still somebody pulling focus, but it's uh, the way they're assisted with the LIDAR. It's semi-automated, and, you know, it's fascinating. And, uh, it looks, you know, I, I I would love to use it. I would love, uh, shoot us an email if you as soon as you use it. Because the thing that I, I tend to be more driven by features and ergonomics and, and speed, you know, like that, like I tend to, like I want things to look as good as they possibly can. But like, I get excited about the down and dirty tactics of, of, of a camera, right? Like, and I was very curious as soon as I started seeing those specs, I was like, I wonder what like a fancy cinematographer 
is going to think of this camera because like you are limited to their lenses, right? I, I thought oh. you were too, and you're not. Oh. And their lenses, by the way, DGI owns Hasselblad and they are Hasselblad, you know, their, their lenses aren't anything to shake a stick at. It's actually got an interchangeable lens mount. So no, you're not. Uh, but they have to be quite light weight lenses right right to fit on here so you can use but you can use um you know like uh 08s which are these you know based on the m lens tiny lenses which are gorgeous you know you can uh yes tremendously limited by specs and you know but it records uh you know prores raw and it's, uh, I believe it's 10 bit. I mean, it's pretty, you know, yeah, it's full frame sensor. It's like 14, yeah, it's, I 15 mean, stops I, of range. I'm very excited. And I, I'm excited that you are excited, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, what other people's reactions are to it. And it's, uh, you know, I'm blown away by tiny, tiny cameras and how good they are looking for another camera. And then I'll stop. But is the uh, A7S3. Yeah. Fucking beautiful camera. I have one of those. Orin's so excited that she said that, Kramer. Yeah. Uh, it's gorgeous. But can I tell you, I was just on this shoot, right? We had an Alexa Mini or whatever. It was like our A-cam. But I I had my A7S III because it, it's kind of this like lifestyle type shoot. So we have our kind of hero shots. But in the last the last iteration of this campaign, five of my iPhone shots made it to, to the broadcast spot. Because it's, it's about this family that's like um, kind of having enjoying their time somewhere. So, you know, a lot of times I'm just taking the cast while we're setting up lighting or whatever, and I'm just like running around with my iPhone. And then I send, I give all my footage to the editor just for fun. And then they use, they're like, I was like, why are you using my iPhone shots? We have this like shot of this roller coaster, like on the, you know, we have the Ronin on this guy on a Segway with the Ronin and the, you know, Alexa and like nice lenses. And the editor used my, my iPhone shot. And she's like, I don't know. I just feel like the iPhone shots are so much more dynamic because I did like a, you know, a, a, a Dutch spin, like following with a roller coaster. Hold on. We were not talking about the iPhone. <laughs> we were no, talking- no. Oh, no. But so the reason I brought it up is because I had my A7S three, and I was like, ah, it's just, it's just not as stable. I need to put it on like my little kind of DJI. I have the smaller gimbal, you know, the RS2. RS2 just- is incredible. That's the other piece of gear. I'm blown away. And that works with, uh, with the master wheels and, you know, it's like it's RS2 is like it's and I was going to say earlier, you know, it's a different feeling than um, the bigger gimbals or it, gimbals feel very different than Steadicam. And this kind of thing where it's going up and down and it's not being it's kind of a giveaway. I'm, uh, I'm not getting it describing it very well, but vertical uh, it's a different vibe, but it's uh, the RS2 is amazing. All this, all this interruptive technology is uh, excites me. That's good to hear because I feel like there are DPs that are like, "Oh, we got to do it the right way." You know, sure they're they're now they're gonna say they want to be focused on this thing, and we're gonna be like, "Sorry, we can't." The camera <laughs> is doing its own thing. Um, I saw though, and I think in the Ronin DJI, um, the 4D, whatever that camera is called. I think it was like Rodney Charters and like Rachel Morrison. There was a bunch of ASC folk like in their intro video talking about the camera. So I think they're trying to get people like you on board. And it sounds like they're doing a pretty good job. Luddites like me. (laughs) (laughs) No, the focus thing is really the most amazing thing. And I cannot believe none of us have thought of that before. But using the LiDAR scanner to create an overhead view of the objects in your scene and to help you to to help you focus on them. You know, how awesome is that? Oren, what you got, buddy? Okay, I have two. My disclaimer is I don't have a ton of experience with either one of these, but uh, they're both neat. So um, check them out if you want. The first one is a website called mynoise.net. It's just like um, a website with a bunch of different like calming noises. Irish coast, cafe, restaurant, waterfall, rain on a tent, Japanese garden. When you're trying to go to sleep, trying to meditate, trying to have some... I told you I, I used to listen to... a fake coffee shop oh yeah i love fake coffee shop yeah it's over now the the website got shut down but it was you could pick different flavors of coffee shop oh yeah well if you go to youtube and type like coffee shop ambience you'll get these amazing videos i think i endorsed them before um but they have white noise all that stuff you know just just kind of stuff to help your mind um stop thinking about other things 
so mynoise.net, it's all of them and it's free. The other thing is I bought a new backpack. Did I talk about this yet? My knack bag. It's in the other room, but it's called the knack bag. K-N-A-C-K-B bag, knack bag. I got the medium. There's two. There's a series one and series two. I got the series one because I thought it looked better, but it's basically like a regular backpack. It's got all the pockets, all the everything you would ever want. You know, it's got like a great slot for your laptop, super comfortable cushioning and all those things. Um, it's a 27 liter backpack, if that means anything to you. And, and you know, it can fit like your noise canceling headphones and your power adapters and your hard drives and all the things you want a sweatshirt, a pair of shoes, maybe. But if you want to pack more in it you unzip this extra compartment and it expands to like a 35 liter backpack and it's pretty much like you have you can fit enough clothes for like two or three days in there you can fit another pair of shoes pair of jeans like two t-shirts a sweatshirt um and it's it's amazing i just took it on my trip and i I do a lot of these trips for work where it's just like a couple days and like i'm bringing this big honking suitcase because i I don't, I don't have a giant backpack and I also don't like giant backpacks, but this is a backpack that can work. Like you, you travel to your hotel, you unload it and then you zip it back up and you have like your day bag to go work with. It's, it's really awesome. It fits under the seat and the airplane. And I, because I took my A7S three this last time on the trip, I used that compartment to pack all my camera gear. So it's like a camera bag. And I, I had a camera bag before this, but there was just no room for my sweatshirt and my food and my, you know, sanitizer, whatever, all this junk that I carry with me everywhere. And this, this bag let me do it. So it's a knack bag medium. The series one is the one I got because it just seemed like it was a more casual looking bag. Um, and it was a little bit bigger. So check it out if you're into backpacks. Uh, well, Craver, this was so fun. Um, where can listeners uh, keep track of you, learn more about what you're up to? Do you Instagram? Do you tweet? What's uh What's the best way to to stay in in the know on the world of Kramer? Uh, probably Instagram. K R A M O R G. I think Kramorg. Yeah, Kramorg. Because you always you also do coaching for the night before someone needs to take a test. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do that. Yeah. Cram. Uh, have a know, cram I, I throw that in for free, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cram org uh no cram org or something um and uh yeah and you even have a website kramer montig Mon- morgenthau sorry i do have a website kramer morgenthau.com which check is, it out which is cool because i feel like you know you're an asc member you're like a dp that shoots gigantic things and you know a lot of those dps don't have websites and it's it's great especially kind of you know, the ones that started a long time ago. But it's nice when you have a DP that's shooting big movies and big commercials that, you know, we get to see on your website what you like of what you did, you know? No offense to the things that didn't make your website. Well, I got I to gotta get on there and update it. Well, you have that, that Will Ferrell Super Bowl commercial. That's kind of recent. That spot is so good. Man. And you have respect on here. I mean, you have, yeah. So Awesome. Well, uh, well, you can visit uh, justshootitpod.com uh, to check out all the stuff that we talked about and previous episodes as well. Um, and you can follow us across all social media at justshootitpod. If you want to ask us a question, uh, you can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. We can hit Kramer up and be like, oh, we... Yeah, if you have a complaint about, Game of Thrones. about yeah. some flares or a shot you don't like from Respect or Creed, let us know. We'll, we'll forward it to Kramer. That's right. And you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Smitey Pileg. Everywhere else, I'm at O'Kaplan on Instagram. I'm going to post a bunch of breakdowns of shoots coming up soon. So you should follow me if you want. Um, this episode is edited by Sarah Weirda. Our, and the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.